Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by We Are One Composites and there's a discount code coming up just for you. We Are One are making incredible quality carbon fibre bike stuff out in Kamloops in Canada. This crew really sweats the small stuff and as a result the products are amazing. I've been running their wheels for over three years now and I'm a massive fan. I'm currently using their Faction 29er rims and I find them a great balance of weight and strength. They get used in some pretty rocky terrain and I've had zero issues and I've never even needed to show them a spoke key. The ride quality is great, finding a good balance of stiffness and compliance so that they go where you put them but don't ping off every obstacle on the trail. Due to the insane demand in the bike industry in general and particularly for We Are One's wheels, we can't offer a discount on complete wheel sets right now. But the team at We Are One really wanted to do something for downtime listeners so they're offering you 15% off rims only during the month of August. All you need to do is to use the code WESUPPLY2021 at the checkout over on weareonecomposites.com. That's WESUPPLY, all lowercase, all one word, followed by the number 2021 over on weareonecomposites.com. Head there now and check out the entire range. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. As many of you know, Downtime EP is launching soon and it's an exciting collab with the team at Miss Spent Summers who are responsible for Hurley Burley Book, Meltdown, the Tea and Biscuits film and plenty more. If you want to get involved, find out more and get the chance to get your hands on it ahead of everyone else, then you can sign up now over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP. If you want to support the show, then you can get your hands on our range of merch over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. As always, it's top quality, organic, made in a factory using renewable energy and delivered with no single-use plastics. Head over now and check them out. All proceeds help support and improve the show. Please make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you listen. There's probably going to be a button there that says follow or subscribe, so hit that now. It's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it's available. If you can't find the button, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe where I've got links to all the major platforms there to help you. Also, I'd love it if you can give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. It's the best place to keep up to date with what's going on and it's always great to hear from you in the comments and messages there. All right, this week I'm joined by a rider who can go fast on pretty much any kind of bike, Hattie Harnden. Hattie recently took a lot of people by surprise by winning her first Elite Enduro World Series race out in La Twille. But with a background of success in both cross-country and cyclocross, combined with amazing technical riding ability, we probably shouldn't be too surprised. We sat down the day after Hattie won the XC National Champs to chat about her riding career so far. We discussed Hattie's approach to going fast, her training, bike setup and plenty more. So, without further ado, here's Hattie Harnden. Hattie Harnden, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you? Um, very good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, that's yeah, a pleasure. And um, first off, congratulations! You took the under twenty three XC National Championships yesterday, right? Yes, yeah, it was very exciting. Kind of was a bit unsure how it was going to go, so yeah, it was yeah, very good day. Yeah, why why were you unsure then? Were you not kind of feeling on top form or? Uh, no, I felt good. Um, it was just like uh, Anna Kay was racing, and she's obviously an incredible cyclocross rider um, and the course had changed at Newnham Park a bit. So um, okay. it was a bit faster and flatter than it has been. So I thought it might suit her quite well. So I was kind of, I thought it was very open and probably quite exciting to watch for people. So yeah, was, yeah. fortunately it uh, went well for me. So yeah. yeah. And how, well, how did you race pan out? Was it, was it a fairly straightforward one for you or was it eventful? Um. It was, uh, it wasn't too eventful. Um, like Anna and I were together the first lap and then she made a little mistake, uh, on the rock garden and I got like a 10 second gap and then I just tried to go as fast as I could. That was the plan. Just put the hammer down. Yeah. Tried to nice. <laughs> and it worked. So yeah, it's always good. good stuff. What do you get like a sleeve or does, do you get some kind of Jersey or reward for that position? Yeah, we get um, a white jersey with red, white, and blue striped across the middle. So oh. that's quite cool. Get to wear it for a year, which is exciting. Very nice. Good work. Well, let's um, let's wind the clock back and uh, tell us a little bit about growing up. Like, were you were you a sporty kid? Was there a lot of sport going on at home? Um, yeah, I always 
enjoyed sport, but mostly at school. Like we weren't a sporty family. I did netball at primary school and then I went to secondary school and we we joined the local cycling club for the summer holidays because four kids, mum needed a way to entertain us. <laughs> um, and I was always a bit rubbish. Like I was very average, like just went to the sessions. I never did cycling outside of it. Uh-huh. Um, and then I did every sport I could do at secondary school. Um, but I was never like a really sporty kid. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't know. I ended up falling into cycling. <laughs> yeah. So what, was it cycling in general or like mountain biking? What, what did you start doing first out of the cycling disciplines? Um, it was mountain biking. Yeah. yeah. Like always had a very, um, basic bike. Um, and yeah, I was encouraged by the local cycling club uh-huh. and I I did a race after my brother, older brother did one and I was kind of like, well, this is quite fun. So cool. we'll do a few more. Did you, am I right? I'm thinking you came last in your first ever race. Yes, I did. <laughs> it was actually at Tracy's and there was two of us in the race and yeah, I just wanted to finish and yeah, I came last. But you clearly loved it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. And I'd never done anything like it before. So yeah, it was something new as well. Yeah. What was it about it that you liked at the time then? Um, I think I liked just, uh, I don't, I don't know, actually, it feels like quite a long while ago, but. How old would you have been then? Uh, I think I was about 12. Okay. So like eight years ago, but I'm not sure why I loved, I think I just loved riding a bike and yeah, it's just outdoors and with great people so yeah yeah (laughs) happy days good stuff and obviously from there things kind of progressed like tell us a little bit about how that went like how did you take it from that first race and just getting a buzz out of it to like starting to get more and more competitive I guess um I basically just rode my bike a bit more I think um and I, I made a lot of friends in the cycling community, like a lot of kids my age, which was really nice and uh, just got me out riding different places and, yeah, seeing seeing the world at a different pace, I think, as well. Different to school. It was a bit of an escape. I think I like that. Like, always, I was, I was okay at school, but it was never, I was never amazing. So it was nice to find something that I... Yeah, really enjoyed doing outside of that. And yeah. it kind of, yeah, just escalated. Like, I ended up going to a national um, and, yeah, went okay as a juvenile. So I think I was 13. Um, and then, yeah, I just rode my bike more and more and kind of just got a bit better every year. And, yeah, just it got, got a bit, not carried away, but it escalated quickly, I think. So. <laughs> And you, I mean, you grew up in a great place for it. We're in the middle of the Malvern Hills here, surrounded by forest and I'm guessing pretty good trails. Yeah. Um, but also some fast locals, Tracy Mosley being one of them. When when did you meet Tracy first? Um, well, I met, I remember her doing some bits with the club, like she'd kind of pop up and you'd see her. And um, But they, it was actually at that first ever race I did and she was – because it was at hers, she would ride around at the front, kind of like leading the race out. And I remember seeing her be like, oh my God. Um, and then um, the year I was going to do my first national, she lent me a bike because um, she'd see me riding with the club. And yeah, I had an awful bike at the time. So she lent me this amazing bike and I kept it like as best as I could because it was, yeah, I couldn't believe it. And yeah, she helped me for a couple of years after that. And then I joined her team. So she's been a big part of everything, which I feel very lucky about. Yeah. What do you know what it was about your riding that kind of stood out to her that, that meant she wanted to lend you a bike and start getting involved? Has she ever told you about that? Um, she, me- she mentioned we went on a ride once on the hills um, as part of the club and that I just followed her down all the descents um, and I was enjoying it and, I could keep up okay. So I think maybe that was it. <laughs> but yeah. If you can keep up with Tracy Mosley, you're doing, you're doing pretty well. <laughs> well, I don't think she was going that fast. <laughs> <laughs> Fair play. And I mean, cyclocross was a part of that mix of racing for you as well. When did that start to become part of things? Um, I think 
it wasn't long after uh, I did my first XC race, maybe like a, well, my first XC national, it's probably a, a year and a half after that. Um, and yeah, she helped me get my first cyclocross bike. And um, so that was, that was just something to do in the winter, a bit of training. I, yeah, it's not that nice going out in the wet and the cold for hours. So cyclocross races were a great kind of substitute and yeah, there's plenty of great leagues locally as well. So there's, you could race almost every weekend throughout the winter. So it was, yeah, and I really enjoyed it as well. So yeah, that kind of took off as well. Yeah. Do you think that helped your mountain biking? Cause it's, I mean, it's, I guess, shorter, really high intensity, mm. but you're riding these kind of skinnier wheeled bikes with less capable geometry in pretty horrific conditions down stuff with your heart rate through your mouth or through your roof. <laughs> like, do you think it's kind of helped your riding in general, like your, your, your ability to handle a bike? I think so. Yeah. Like, uh, definitely like your leg speed in cyclocross, it helps you be a bit faster and yeah, getting on and off your bike. Like I think you become more agile and, and I think you're possibly a bit nicer to your bike on your cyclocross bike. So then when you get on your mountain bike, you're like, oh, okay, like you kind of, yeah, you transfer the bits across, which I think is really good. And yeah, it just gets your brain working as well, I think. So. In what way? In like a strategic way or in a, in a, in a bike handling kind of way? Uh, both. Yeah. I think cyclocross races can be really strategic. I think I always was a bit rubbish at that, <laughs> but um, we worked on that. And um, yeah, bike handling as well, like setting up wide and trying to hit the green bits because it's a bit grippier and yeah, just being adaptable as well. Cause cross races, when it's wet, they course would change hugely over the course of like an hour. So being able to do that in a mountain bike race as well, like you don't have to do it so much, but mm -hmm. when it does happen, it's probably a real advantage. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, certainly an enduro, like when you've only had one practice run down a trail and then the heavens have opened and however many hundreds of riders have been down, I guess if you can adapt to what's going on and what you're seeing on the way, that's gotta be, gotta be a positive, right? Yeah. I think not panicking when something doesn't look how you saw it before, that maybe there's another rut or something or your line's been destroyed by other people you just learn to kind of go oh well there's another one so yeah. let's give that a go <laughs> roll with roll with the punches sort of yeah. Thing. <laughs> yeah yeah fair play so yeah when did enduro become part of what you do um uh it's i think over the last like four or five years um since i've been on tracy's team um I I always did like the odd enduro here and there and like I'd be lent like one of her old race bikes and it would I'd try my best not to damage it or anything. Um but like yeah, I'd probably do like one or two a year um at some really wet UK enduro. But um really uh only the summer twenty nineteen I went to my first EWS, uh which happened to fit in around my XE uh, junior world cups mm. and yeah I couldn't couldn't believe like pe what they were doing for a weekend just <laughs> bombing down these hills and often in the well sometimes in the sunshine and just ah oh, it was amazing and then I did trophy nations well I did um another EWS and then on to trophy nations and yeah from there it just kind of yeah, became an enduro rider. <laughs> yeah. But had you always kind of enjoyed the gravity side of riding mountain bikes? Like, were you someone who got a buzz out of the downhills and would, would want to like do that part of it? Or was that not really a thing until you discovered enduro? Uh, no, I always loved the downhills. I think that was always kind of my place. I was like, right, I can make up a bit of time or I can recover a bit more. Um, yeah, I've, I never thought I've built, I've been built to go up hills. So yeah, the descent was always kind of my little bit. <laughs> okay so that it was a thing you saw as a strength in your riding anyway kind of thing yeah yeah definitely yeah. yeah and what so what's it like racing against the clock versus racing against competitors because everything else you do cyclocross the xc you're always against other people sharpen your elbows and <laughs> things can get a bit messy sometimes i guess and there's, yeah. there's debates about how people performed a good noise sorry what's that oh, it's the, the clock, clock. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and, and then suddenly you're doing enduro where you're racing purely against the clock does that change the like, the feel of the event like to you yeah definitely uh it's one of the things i 
um, do slightly miss when I do enduro is I do get a, a real buzz from, yeah, being bar to bar with other people and that kind of the start and the few moments after the start. But um, yeah, I there's a great feeling though about just racing almost against yourself, like just going as fast as you can go, like um, in an enduro. At the end of the day, you can't do anything else. Um, but yeah, there is something special about being bar to bar with everyone. Okay. I do miss it a little bit. So maybe that's why I couldn't choose one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why you've still got three disciplines on the go, isn't it? <laughs> I like it. Yeah, where, so where did the, the kind of the big results start to come first then? Was it XE or the cyclocross that where you started to, you know, pick up the kind of national championships and these kind of results? Um, my first national championships was uh, in cross country. Uh-huh. Yeah. As a second year juvenile, so I'd have been 14. Yeah. Uh, I won my first national championships. Uh, that was quite special. I still remember that one. Yeah. Um, at Hadley on the Olympic course. So, yeah, that was my first one. And then um, I, I've done cross, cross country and cyclocross ones every year since. So, um, yeah, they've always gone pretty well. Yeah. And, and right from that, that kind of first big win, I'm guessing you were pretty bitten by it by then, but did you ever start to think like, maybe I could do this as a career? Like I could be a professional bike rider. When did that become something you were thinking about? Um, I think as I became a junior, so when I was probably about 16, I kind of realized that although there, like I always had uh, something I wanted to do, I always wanted to be an architect. I always wanted to do that. But then I realized that, the cycling was something that wouldn't be around forever. I'll get older and it'll kind of pass me by before I know it, I'm sure. So it was, yeah, at that point I was like, well, might as well go for it and see what happens. Kind of put a lot into it. So as soon as I finished school, that was it. I was like, right, give it a go and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Good stuff. And so before you started that enduro side of things, like what you were riding for Timo racing, I guess, Tracy's team what level of support do you actually get with that? Like, and, and was that also supported by British cycling Were you getting much from there as well? Uh, yeah. So I, I was on Tracy's, uh, I think I was on for about five years on Mm -hmm. Tracy's. Um, and yeah, it was a great level of support. Like I got a bike through Trek UK and, um, I got, uh, I would get like a, a road bike, uh, that I'd, kind of buy a good price and I get um, a race bike every year, uh, two cross bikes that would then go back at the end of the year. Um, But like having a race bike for a season and a training bike through the winter, like it was, it was amazing. Like (laughs) it would be crazy expensive to buy all of those bikes. And I, my parents like, cause they weren't cycling people. They didn't really understand it and they couldn't believe how expensive everything was. So it was, Tracy kind of opened the door up to making it able to happen really. Yeah. Fantastic. And were British cycling involved in what you were doing then? I know they have a big kind of XC program, but. Yeah. uh, I was on the British cycling program as a junior and a youth. So I was on there for four years. Um, But then back in 2019, um, I decided it wasn't, it wasn't what I needed at the moment. And it is for some people and it isn't for others think you're everyone's moving at different speeds so it just it wasn't what I needed and they had been great yeah like you go to I went to European champs every year and I went to world champs every year and yeah I even managed to medal at one of them so yeah it's, it was great like they had mechanics and people doing your bottles in the pits and they'd sort out your flights and yeah all the logistics are getting there so it's kind of big weight off your shoulders for those big events as yeah. well. Yeah. What was it about that, that British cycling structure that you were finding didn't work for you or didn't work for you at that point in time? Um, I think, uh, it, I, I think I just kind of, I hadn't had a great year, 2019. Um, I, I'd started off with a, an amazing year and then I had my appendix out right in the season and that kind of threw me off for the rest of the season. I never really got back up to speed. 
And so I think I came came off the back of that season kind of a bit like, oh, damn, like I think I need to make a change that I need need to change something. So I ended up getting a new coach and left the BC program. And yeah, I just, it was the right choice. I mean, it's been amazing since. And yeah, I think I'm in the best shape of my life. So. Yeah, that's pretty good to say. Isn't <laughs> yeah. it? And the BC stuff can be quite, I mean, it is very results driven, I guess, because that's where the funding comes from. But I guess that mm. can apply a lot of pressure as yeah. well. Yeah. And as well, wanting to do the other disciplines, like it would have, it would have been a bit conflicting. And from, from their point of view, they don't support the, the cyclocross or the enduro. So it would have been hard to kind of justify having me there, I think as well. So I think it was better for both sides. Yeah. Fair play. So how did the track, uh, the track team deal come about? Um, after the enduro racing, um, well, obviously Tracy has all the connections and I think she must have put in a good word for me because I hadn't even considered that I was good enough to to race enduro, at, well, on a on a team or at that level. So, yeah, they obviously saw something I didn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> so was the EWS, like, that was a part of that deal from the very start then? I think it must have been, yeah, because I hadn't really done any other enduro races. So they judged off the three enduro races I did that year. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's quite, quite a shock when it came around, like in, in the November, December time, I was kind of like, wow, like going up in the world, big <laughs> going places. Yeah. That's pretty special, isn't it? Moving into full, like, yeah, full factory deal at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That was, it took, it was hard for me to keep that on quiet. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> This is amazing. <laughs> How long did you have to keep that quiet for? Uh, just until the 1st of January uh, 2020. So it was only like a couple of months, but like, I think all all the local kind of boys have always been big into Enduro and like my best friend, Louis, and I think they always like, were like, oh yeah, you should try Enduro, you should have a go sort of thing. And then I was the one that ended up becoming a professional <laughs> rider in it. <laughs> I don't think everyone was quite surprised, to be honest. <laughs> well, at least it was still Trek bikes, so you didn't have to hide a new bike or anything like that. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Makes life easier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what, what's different about riding for a factory team then? What what has changed in the level of, of support that you get? Um, oh, um, so I, I get all my bikes and need that road bike, my enduro bikes and my XE bike. And then obviously... Uh, all your travel and accommodation to all your events and your entries. Um, and they like sort out all your logistics, which at the moment, absolute nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And as well, like things, just things like COVID tests and um, yeah, it just all adds up. But yeah, kit, like all of the sponsors that come with the team, like 100% and rock shocks and things. So you get all the spares for your bikes and, yeah, basically your bike is always working perfectly, which is really nice. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you get full mechanic support at all the races. Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, I've got Andy, which is which is awesome. And yeah, we have Swanee James who comes to all of them. So get massage and makes dinner and things like that. So it's pretty much the dream. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That sounds very good. So yeah, you raced a full season in 2020. Not that 2020 was really a full season, I guess, by any normal stretch um but it went pretty well for you right in the under 21s yeah it went amazing uh not really sure what I was expecting but yeah I kind of yeah came out on top <laughs> yeah I mean it unfortunately it's quite it is quite a small category so the, the amount mm. of people you get to compete against is limited does that mean that straight away you're reflecting your times against the elite women yeah, yeah, there, I think there's a lot of that in the women's. Um, yeah, they often compare the times across, which I think is cool because it does give you a gauge. That even if you're not planning on, you, well, you're not moving into the category the next year, you kind of gives you a ball mark as to what you're aiming for. Um, and yeah, a lot of comparing times across, I think, because that's, well, that's where I ended up going this year. So I think, yeah, it was a big part of last year, just yeah. kind of checking I was actually ready for it, I think, more than yeah. anything. Um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and it is. I guess it is different still, though, that you race at a different time of day, and I definitely noticed this year it's, it's very nerve-wracking, like, setting off and you look behind you 
And I think at one of them, there was only like three people behind me. And I was like, whoa, like, where's everyone gone? Like, how am I even here? And you see like Isabel Cordero behind you. You're like, oh my God, (laughs) this is crazy. (laughs) She won like the series back in 2019. I was like, oh my God. She sat behind you at the start. Yeah, exactly. Pretty special, isn't it? Very special. Yeah. And so coming out of that 2020 season then, knowing you're moving up into elite women's for 2021, and you've had a good season, where was your kind of focus in the off season? Like, were you looking to close gaps and focus on the EWS or are you try, are you still trying to kind of balance everything across th- effectively three disciplines with cyclocross and XC? Um, yeah, still trying to balance things. Um, it's, it sounds completely crazy when I say it, but I almost put away my cross country and my enduro bike for like five months of the year across the winter. Like I'd, I'd go out on it like once a month, maybe my, my XC bike. I actually don't think I touched my enduro bike. Um, but yeah, as much as, yeah, just focus on the cyclocross and a lot of cross training and a lot of, not as much as normal, but backwards and forwards to Belgium for the races. And yeah, cause you get so many of them in and you can race every weekend, like, three times a week if you want to, but, um, yeah, the big, big focus on the block over Christmas. Cause there's always a lot on there mm-hmm. and the world cups. Um, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, just kind of cyclocross focused over the winter. I'd always wonder, oh, if I rode my enduro bike through the winter, like how it would be, but I mean, maybe one, one year I'll find out and I'll do it and see. <laughs> so do you think you're having to compromise any of your disciplines to, to focus on another, like, or you, or do you think that they're so similar in the physical demands that actually you're in about as good a kind of condition as you could be for all three? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I, I do wonder this sometimes. Um, uh, I'm not sure is the honest answer. I think for enduro, um, I'm definitely more than fit enough, but, um, uh, yeah, the cross country, I'm always, oh, I could do more, more efforts or more sprints or something, but then it's easy to overtrain and you look at the bigger picture, like the enduro does still keep me really fit. Like you're out on the bike for like five, six, seven hours. So, you know, short of bike time. Um, but yeah, it's a good question. I don't actually know the answer. Yeah. Do you spend much time in, like doing gym kind of work then, or is a lot of what you do on the bike? Uh, yeah, that is actually possibly one thing is in over the winter, uh, there's a lot of preparation for the enduro more on the gym front rather okay. than the actual riding bike. So maybe in the gym, like three times a week, which, which does affect things quite a lot. Like I always, well, I put on muscle quite easily. So my weight fluctuates quite a lot over the winter. And I think it's, it's something I've just kind of accepted like a lot of people get really bogged down about it. They're like, oh, like way too much or whatever. But I don't I don't think that's true. You just put on a bit more muscle and I think it's evened me out a bit, if anything, and it's made me a bit stronger in the upper body, which makes you more stable on any bike. Yeah. Like so I yeah, I mean it does vary, but yeah, the gym's good. I love the gym, so I'm not complaining. You're a fan of picking up heavy things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I try my best. <laughs> do you, and do you find that gym work's paid off in the injury side? Do you feel stronger on the bike? And is it, like, where's the focus? Is it more upper body than legs when you do the gym stuff? Or is it everything? Um, it has been a lot of upper body for me. I, I've always been weak, weaker on the upper body. Okay. But yeah, still do leg stuff as well. Um, and yeah, I try to work on my core a bit as well. I've never been very good at that one. But yeah, the upper body's definitely helped in the enduro I think the first year I did it uh back in 2019 I like I'd get part way down the stage and be like oh yeah like my arms starting to hurt and you get to the bottom you'd be destroyed and now like can go and do like five minute run down a hill and I'll happily go up and do another one it'll be okay um I think yeah body just soaks it all up now nice so coming into 2021 then good 2020 short season focused off season lots of cross racing by the sounds of it this new support through you know trek factory racing 
everything you could possibly want, I guess. <laughs> what were your kind of hopes and goals for, for 2021? Um, my biggest goal was to podium at an EWS. Uh-huh. That was the big one. I mean, I honestly, like, I knew it was going to be a big stretch and it was, I was going to have to work really hard for it, especially with the women's sites getting more and more competitive yeah. all the time, which is awesome for the sport. Um, but yeah, that was the big goal. Um, so yeah, I can't believe I actually accomplished that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it didn't really take that long, did there? So we started off in Valdefasa with the first double header. Yeah. I think you were ninth after the first round. Yeah, yeah, not the best first round. Yeah, what what went on there? Like it's that sort of stands out from your results from the season. Um, it was uh, so I just come from some cross country stuff, the first couple of World Cups, and I think I came into the enduro. And I was like, oh, like I need to go fast. Like the women are so fast. Like I, I need to, I need to just do everything really well. And I kind of overthought everything. Um, and that's really not how I ride well. Uh, like every other enduro I'd done before, it was like, oh yeah, going to fun. And then you, well, ended up doing well. <laughs> so then for the second one, yeah, I, well, the first one I just crashed a lot, basically. Okay. Yeah, I crashed every stage, <laughs> at least once on every stage. Um, but I mean, I was still super happy with the top 10. Like, I was like, oh, that's that's amazing. So for the second one, Andy and I changed the tactic, and he wrote me a message on my bike saying to have fun. And so every stage I was like, oh, just have fun. Doesn't matter what happens, just have fun. And yeah, it works a lot better. <laughs> do, you, do, you, is, do you find it kind of easy to shift headspace then? Because it sounds like you were, yeah, like you say, overthinking, riding tight, kind of struggling through that first one. You've only got a couple of days to turn it around. And, uh, you know, it's cool having a nice message written on your buzz, but that's not doing everything <laughs> for you, is it? Like, yeah. How how are you letting go of where you were a few days ago and, and just like turning up and enjoying it? Um, I think... I think I just, uh, this sounds really stupid. I just don't really think when I ride my bike, like it, I think it's come second nature. You just go with it. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, um, it's a hard one, actually. I I think I, knowing I'd done all the preparation okay. and I was fit and healthy um, and having ridden, like done a couple of weeks riding uh, in in Europe before and doing some big mountains, like I knew, I knew I could go reasonably fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was, it wasn't a case of like doubting that I was, I was capable. I think it was more just, yeah, it was just all, all in my head, just go and enjoy it. Yeah. And I guess you know where you're at after the first round, don't you? There's none of that yeah. kind of wondering anymore. You know that you've pulled ninth, which you might not be totally happy with, but with, <laughs> crashes in every every uh stage and if you know that you weren't riding and you were overthinking things a bit then I guess that that brings a bit of confidence as well right yeah yeah and I think as well narrowing it down possibly like um picking like two things to remember like oh there's a tree there or there's a rock rather than going I need to do everything amazing because that never happens and it's very kind of unrealistic to think that it will so yeah when the stages are as long as they are yeah. and you've ridden them once yeah. then yeah that's fair but yeah you turned it all around and third place first podium so effectively in the first week of EWS racing of the year you've ticked off your objective for the season yeah it's a pretty good start <laughs> Not bad. you must have felt really happy with that yeah I, like, I didn't I didn't expect it it was so so tight coming into the last stage and I think there was like a second between third third and sixth, I think, or something. Wow, okay. And it was so close. And it was just a case of, I think, who who held it together on the last stage. Um, so I remember coming down to the bottom and I was like, oh, I haven't done it, so it's okay. And then walking down off the stage and then like announcing the final results. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of like, oh, what has just happened? One of those really surreal moments that – gonna stay with me forever yeah <laughs> good stuff so I guess you take a lot of confidence from that then coming into the twill yeah definitely and I'd, I hadn't ridden in uh Canada before um so going to La Twil where I'd, I'd been to 
uh, once for XE and once for Enduro before I was kind of knew what I was getting myself into a little bit. So I, yeah, I think I was a little more confident for that one. Yeah. And the trails there are pretty spicy, right? Yeah. I think they're some of the best trails. Yeah. They got, got everything like fast into steep and steep stuff, loose. I mean, we were lucky enough for it to be dry. So I've never ridden there in the wet, so I can't can't say about that. But when I've been there, it's loose and dusty, which is always fun. Yeah, nice. So the first round there, and you took home second. So you've improved already one position. Yeah. Uh, yeah, talk us through that that first round in, in Latour. How are you feeling? How did it all go from your perspective? Uh, it went really well. Um, I think it always takes me a little while to get going in the day, I think. Um, that I tend to go better as the day gets on. So I think I was about seventh on the first stage and then I got better over the next couple. So I was kind of up there in the mix a bit. But um, yeah, I think there was, I didn't really see it happening. I was kind of like, oh, just go for it on the last one and just enjoy it. And yeah, <laughs> just you got nothing to lose basically. And um, yeah, just kind of, gave it everything, tried not to mess up, <laughs> had fun. Most importantly, it was my favorite stage. I remember thinking on the top bit, like I went around this one corner. I was like, Oh, I feel like I'm going fast. Like when I made myself a bit nervous, I was like, Oh, you should slow down. I was like, Oh, that means you're going fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, last stage managed to win the last stage, which bumped me up far enough to get back on the podium, which was awesome. <laughs> yeah. That was the longest stage of the day, right? Yeah, yeah, I think it was like 10 or 11 minutes. Yeah. yeah. And was that your first stage win at an EWS in elite women? Uh I won one uh actually at the first race I won um it was a stage in Kanetsai at the first one uh stage 3 it had a little climb in it and uh the first time we did I I won it uh, I think to Isabeau just by a couple of seconds. So yeah, got. I knew I had this feed there. When you get a stage win, you're like, oh, yes, I got this. Yeah. At some point, it'll yeah, come. Yeah, if you can pull it together, then you know you eventually you're going to get there, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. So feeling super good, I guess, coming into the, the second round. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, talk us through that that event because is the pressure starting to pile up a little bit? You, you're starting to believe that you can then win one I guess right you've had two stage wins you've had a third and a second you've got to be starting to think if I have a good day here yeah yeah definitely like you do wonder um but uh, Melanie Pujan at the last uh at the first race in the twill she she won by a long way so I was kind of like oh like you've got a lot a lot to get back but over four stages uh, of the day you never know and yeah, the second one, second one was we did the pro stage the night before, and um, I kind of I never know I've never done a downhill race, and it's kind of like doing a downhill race. Everyone says so that one, that one was a bit of a bit of a wobbly one for me. I did put in a solid result, but you then kind of see how everyone else is holding up. Like it's the end of a big block of racing, so the last day of racing. Uh, I actually, I managed to win the first stage, which I was really surprised about. I'd had a bit of a bumpy morning and Noga behind me kind of pushed me down the first stage. Like, oh, you got to go off you go. And I was felt all over the place. I didn't, couldn't even tell where I was going <laughs> and then ended up winning the first stage. So Andy and Eli back in the pits, let me know. So then I was like, oh, okay, well, if you won the first one, like you, you got to keep going. You got to try and back it up. So just carried on with the day and had a mistake on the third stage of the day. I had a little crash, like, cause the tracks are getting so blown out. You, you have so many people down them. They do change a lot. And, um, I, that bumped me back down to like fifth. And I was like, oh, okay. Like again, I was like, I'm out of the running now. That's it. <laughs> and then the last stage I was like, well, we just give it everything and go for it and yeah came out top <laughs> yeah when did when did you realize you'd taken the the win um it took a while because uh the lady leading um ALN she she was the last lady down the hill and I think I was like sixth last down so I went down 
and knew I'd put in a good time. And then it's the waiting at the bottom. <laughs> I think it was like the longest two minutes of my life. <laughs> but I was waiting there with James, our Swanee, and I was like, oh, this is this is getting tense. Like someone comes down and they're still behind you and they go in behind you and it keeps happening. And then poor lady, we were waiting for a long while because she had a crash. And I was like, is it? Is it bad to want to celebrate before she gets down? Yeah, that's tough, eh? yeah and I, I bless her. Like it was a nasty crash, but I was kind of like, well, what, what on earth has just happened? Like all these people coming and congratulating me. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I had some proper like little fangirl moments when, like, some of the guys I've been looking up to for ages came over and said, well done. I was like, oh. Yeah, that must be really <laughs> surreal. It was so surreal. Like, um, who was it? Martin Mays said, well done. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people that you've looked up to for so long. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. What's the what's the sort of reception been like in the women's field? Because it's I don't think we've ever had anyone kind of come in from the, the under 21 rank and take a victory that quickly. Well, we haven't, I don't think, have we? Because you're the youngest woman ever and equal yeah. youngest person ever with Richie Reed, right, to win an EWS. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I didn't, I like, when someone told me that, I was like, well, he's rather good. So. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's done all right so <laughs> Yeah. Far. Oh, that's always good. Uh, yeah, no, they were amazing. Like, I had a lot of uh, kind of congratulations from those girls and I think uh, it's kind of cool to, as this maybe sounds bad, but, like someone other than the French always winning, <laughs> I think. <laughs> But like, I mean, they're so strong that like they rightly deserve it. But yeah, yeah. So many people said how cool it was. So I, yeah, I think the ladies, they're a great bunch of ladies. So everyone supports everyone. So it's, it's an amazing kind of community to be a part. Yeah. It seems like there's a nice atmosphere in the men's and the women's field these days. Like everyone genuinely seems to get on and want to see each other do well. So yeah. And then it pushes everyone else on as well, doesn't it? like someone goes faster than you you then want to go faster than them so yeah it's cool nice and we've got we've got quite a big break now in the ews side of things but not so much of a break maybe in some of the other disciplines that you're involved <laughs> in you're a busy lady um but you're sitting second now in the overall of yeah. the enduro world series <laughs> does that change anything for you and um, i mean the overall is a huge that is the well it's the biggest thing isn't it but um no, I don't think it changes anything. Like, uh, I I mean, I've, it's my first year, so I can't exactly go, oh, I want to do better than last year. So, I mean, I'm I'm quite happy to just carry on and see where I fall. Um, well, hopefully don't actually Not fall. fall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> see where I place. Um, but no, no, I don't think it'll change anything for me. I think it'll be what it'll be and hopefully it's good. <laughs> yeah, but you, you won't kind of pull your focus towards Enduro World Series more than maybe you would have done? You won't maybe drop some of the other events in your calendar or? No, no, no. I'm still doing everything that I was going to do. Um, but uh, no, I, no, I don't think it'll change anything actually. Um, but I mean, in, Enduro is always kind of slight, just a little bit more my main focus. So um, yeah, always always working on that one a bit more than the others i think interesting okay and um and we've got i think one more double header round left and then the rest of the season is the the more familiar format i guess from previous years yeah. where there's just one race in in the week and I, I think they're like two subtly different events right the the, the double header versus the single round the are the physical demands of the two different from your perspective as an athlete do you think and do you think your fitness is maybe going to help you more so in those longer single events or oh the clock's back sorry That's all right. <laughs> um i think uh i think i quite suit the double ones uh, okay. because um yeah because of my fitness level i think a lot of people uh, need possibly aren't used to riding the bike that much or maybe that intensely in a week. Um, so I, I think possibly that's why I got better as, as the last block went on. Um, but, uh, I mean, we haven't had a single one yet this year, so I don't actually know, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it is quite different because you have more days between to just go and ride your bike earlier in the week. 
and just, I guess, kind of get used to your local terrain yeah. as to where you're going to be racing, making sure you obviously don't, don't ride the race runs. Um, but, uh, yeah, well, I think we'll just have to see which see one. how it goes. Yeah. But you, if, for the tour, you just come off the back of a XC World Cup in Leger the weekend before, right? So you, yeah, <laughs> you're not you're not turning up with fresh legs, but you're still able to to put down four big days of. <laughs> uh, I think I think the thing with the cross country is uh, though is that you because you're so focused on like that one hour and a half that you're racing is other than when you're on course practicing sort of the rest of the time you sat down kind of trying okay. not to do too much. So I, I think, I mean, I did ride in the bike park a bit that week, but I, I did make a point of trying to sit down a bit more, which you possibly, some of the other guys didn't if they were in the bike park a week. So, so you went, know, you went yeah. for a, you went to an XC World Cup for a rest <laughs> <laughs> and then you went to the Tour on one. And to get smashed for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. You think differently to me, but all right. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about bike setup. Am I right in thinking that you've got one arm shorter than the other from a crash? Yeah, only it's slightly, it's like about an inch or so, uh -huh. but it's, yeah, since I was, I think like 13, like the, <laughs> crazily before I even really started riding bikes, um, I, I broke my leg uh, in like September uh, playing hockey actually quite badly and then within like five months I fell off my bike and broke my arm and so like that was a great great start to me wanting to get into mountain biking <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that kind of delayed things but yeah that was quite a while ago now so touch wood I haven't done anything else too bad since so was that something <laughs> was it shoulder related then did it stop your something from growing or yeah like it, I broke through like my basically the socket for your shoulder and um because it's the end of the bone, they don't like to operate on it because it can um, stop your bone growing. But they do say it can stop it growing anyway because okay. it's gone through the end and it did. Right. Okay. <laughs> but it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Does that impact bike setup then, like brake positions, that sort of stuff? or Not that I've noticed, although... Uh, I've never been very good at getting my bars straight, so maybe that's it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they're permanently slightly on the wonk. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, yeah. I, if you jumped on my bike, you could probably tell me. <laughs> okay, interesting. So do you do anything kind of specific for setup for you? Is there anything you're particularly fussy about? Um, I I don't think so. There are things that have definitely changed a lot since I started the Endura. Like <laughs> the boys would always jump on my bike and be like, oh my God, it's so weird. Like you've got all of this, like such a weird position. And so there are things I've learned to change, like, brake lever position and things just because you're going down for so long like if you have them too steep uh or if you put them flatter it's a bit more comfortable just little things like that that have evolved but um I don't I, I like to think I'm not too fussy <laughs> so you had a, I guess a more traditional XC setup because yeah. of your background I suppose yeah and you definitely look at like when I see pictures of me on a bike I look very kind of squatted on the bike like not uh, a tr yeah traditional kind of enduro look but yeah I think that's possibly slightly because of how the bike's set up yeah fair yeah. play I heard you've uh you've been doing a bit of work with a motion instruments system and getting some data back yeah. from the suspension uh, over the last year or so with your mechanic Andy uh, has that been an interesting thing for you like what what have you taken from that yeah it's been really interesting because I mean I'm not the best at going oh like it I can tell something's like not like it doesn't feel right, but I couldn't tell you how to fix it like, uh -huh. or correct it. So it's great for kind of, uh, yeah, learning, learning about the suspension and how it's all working on different sorts of tracks as well. And yeah, and getting it set up just right, which we seem to have pretty well at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's super interesting to just to learn about like when, when things are moving faster and, when you possibly when you want them to be and when you don't want them to be and keeping you set up right on the steeper stuff, all sorts of things, even like as well, when you start changing like wheel sizes and things like that, if you do do that, that then all obviously affects your suspension because you're then in a different position. So all sorts of things 
And yeah, I'd like to think I'm getting a bit more knowledgeable from it as well. Do you think that's important that you understand that? Because I guess there's some athletes love that sort of puzzle. Like, you know, Greg Minow's famous for wanting to be in the detail of all that. And then there's mm. other athletes that I'm not saying they don't care, but they're much more like run what you brung kind of yeah. thing. Like, yeah. How do you view that whole the puzzle, I guess? Um, I, I think it's really important to know know a bit. I think that being, this is very sexist, but being a girl, like people assume you don't know so much. And I mean, I, I've definitely learned a hell of a lot already. So I like to think I'm getting better, but yeah, I think it's really important to know because trying to, yeah, it's almost like translating another language. Like you need to know a certain amount yourself to kind of understand it all. And it's also, it's, just to suit like your riding style. So you, someone could help you set it up, but you're always going to want it how you want it really. So yeah, I'm, I'm working on learning that. So I, so I can back up the fact that I say you should know it. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. And are you finding that that's like, is it bringing speed? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it just makes kind of, it just, it's like the last, possibly not the last piece, but a big piece of the puzzle is it's amazing how how just having all that confidence in your bike that you know it's going to grip and you know it's going to corner well and yeah you know it's not going to ping off all the rocks or something is a it, yeah just a confidence booster which then brings on your riding even more when you have full confidence in your machine yeah and what are you running wheel size wise you mentioned messing about with different wheel sizes but um uh, I I just run 29 uh, but I know a lot of people have been trying uh mullet setup with a yeah. smaller one on the back and um I'm I've ridden it a couple of times but I yeah I haven't figured that one out so not, not convinced just yet <laughs> yeah yeah I I like how like just the 29 you stick it stick it and point it in the direction you want it to go and it certainly goes <laughs> <laughs> that is very true yeah. Yeah, fair enough. And how's it been going on the team then? So you've got uh, two team brothers with uh, Pedro and Flo. What's it like with those two? It's definitely like coming brothers. <laughs> um, no, it's great. Um, like I've, I'm a bit embarrassed. I don't speak another language and their English is phenomenal and it's getting better all the time as well. But um, no, they're a great bunch to have around. They're so knowledgeable, like kind of still feel like a little fangirl with them as well <laughs> to be honest um but yeah like even just getting to ride with them uh when when we're doing a bit of testing or just between the races i think that also helps just following people watching different lines all of that it yeah they're great to be around and everyone supports everyone everyone's happy for everyone and tries to lift each other up so yeah, I couldn't really ask for anything more from them. Nice. Yeah, sounds like you, you've got a good setup there for sure. So I, I might miss a few here, but you were elite women's cyclocross national champ in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. You're the current <laughs> under-23 national XC champ. You're sitting second overall in EWS. We've got a Commonwealth Games in 2022. There's a 2023 World Championships in Scotland, yes. I think, and 2024 Olympics. A lot. <laughs> Where do you go with all of this? Because you've got a lot of a lot of potential routes you could take here. I think. Yeah, um, I. It has to be fair to say I've always wanted some stripes, some rainbow stripes. So the the twenty twenty three in Scotland has become a big kind of goal of mine. Like it's my last year as an under twenty three for cross country. So. Yeah, I think it would be the one to try and go for. Um, but yeah, as well, like Commonwealth Games just in Birmingham, uh, it would be really cool to go. But I mean, you then look at the calendar and you're like, oh, like <laughs> there's a lot already going on. Um, but yeah, that one's been uh, on my kind of sights for a while. And yeah, it's something I'd really love to go to. So uh, I don't don't actually know when I find out, but I'm... I put, yeah, I've been put forward for it. So okay. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, the Olympics, I have always wanted to go. Um, but yeah, you never know what's going to happen in, well, I guess it's only three years now, but um, 
yeah, a lot can change in that time. And we have a lot of very good um, cross-country riders in the UK women at the moment. So it's pretty competitive spot to get in for. So Yes, that is true. Yeah. But hopefully we'll be in a position as a nation where maybe we get a few more spots at the Olympics by 2023. Yeah, like I, I guess the more uh, top guys you have from your country, the more kind of points you're scoring. So yeah, you get bumped up the ranking a bit. So maybe, yeah, maybe we will have some more spots, which would be really cool. Yeah, because that would be your first year elite. Uh, yeah, it would, 2024. 24, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. So where, where does Enduro fit in with all this? Because we, we're in that kind of <laughs> no man's land where we don't really get a set of the proper stripes for it yet. Like it doesn't seem to be recognised to the point where, where the recognition kind of internationally is there, I guess. Yeah, um, I guess it doesn't, like we possibly don't have quite the same uh, in like kind of standalone events like the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games. But um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I guess the overall is the big one you want to go for. So I guess we'll see how we get on this year and chip away at going for that another year maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tricky balance though, right? You, yeah. You kind of so many doors open but it's hard to go through all of them at the same time well yeah you definitely can't do them all at once so just yeah maybe i'll just try and tick one thing off a year um but yeah i, I don't know actually i think i think i would love to though with the enduro is you get the like the the trans madeira and the trans provence and uh uh yeah like those kind of more standalone events that i think as long as it fits in, squeeze a few of those in there would be amazing. Cause I think it's just going and seeing places on your bike. Like that's, that's what it's all about. So yeah, we'll see. I love it. I love that. I've asked you a question about you having too much on and you've added in a bit. extra. <laughs> well, well, yeah, <laughs> maybe that's what I'm good at. Just keep piling more on and just see fits <laughs> yeah well you, and you mentioned the word overtraining earlier but there must be a real risk of that with not just with the training but with the amount of racing and travel and everything that is in your calendar how do you manage that to make sure that you're you're refreshed and you're ready to go uh well that's the thing you can't be fresh for everything so you pick your ones you want to go really well for um and yeah i guess you could try and um yeah, try and make sure you're you're a bit fresher for those ones. But yeah, you do have to cut them out, like um, not doing any more XE World Cups. And um, yeah, like I wasn't going like my best in Leger, just things like that. You just have to kind of accept that these are the situation that you're in and you just make the most of that. And no one, yeah, no one can be going well all the time. So everyone else is in the same boat to a certain extent, I guess. Yeah. And do you do much outside of cycling to kind of give you some space and some way of relaxing a bit? Uh, yeah, I, I yeah, I, <laughs> I just kind of pot around at home. I feel like, like I'd like catch up with friends in school and kind of all my friends are gone to uni and things like that. But yeah, just kind of help around the house and there's always stuff going on at home. Like the boys rebuilding cars and like, stuff going on in the garden with mum she always loves kind of growing stuff so there's always something to do to keep you busy and um kind of take your mind off things but um yeah there's not always necessarily much time <laughs> once you squeeze it all piece it all together it, it gets quite tight sometimes yeah and do you have any kind of like more relaxing practice like yoga or pilates or anything like that that you you do or fit in around your training uh yeah uh yeah i do yoga i do love yoga um, although sometimes um i i feel like i get a little bit impatient <laughs> <laughs> like when they're there i just like oh breathe in and breathe out and i'm like oh come on we should be doing something um but yeah yoga's great yeah a bit of pilates um and i do a bit of running every so often as well just kind of moving at different speeds it's quite nice and it's good for your body in other ways as well so yeah. a bit of surfing uh, I did a bit last year. I'm not a great surfer, I have to say. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe not my, not something I should go into, but yeah, it's a lot of fun and it's a good workout as well. I mean, 
They always come off that absolutely knackered. So yeah, fair play. Nice one. We're getting close to the end of our time, but we've got our final four questions that we've asked everyone. So we'll uh, hit those. The first of those is if our listeners had 150 pounds to spend to improve their performance on the bike, what would you recommend they get and spend it on? Oh, for, for on, for like for their bike, for their bike or for themselves. Um, um, Okay, if it's f- for themselves, I would say a good um, kind of uh, hydration and kind of energy kind of just because if you're like not hydrated and you don't eat enough whilst you're out on your bike, like it, it, it is tough going and you then are knackered for days. You can be knackered for ages or you go home and you end up eating twice as much as you want to. Oh, I do anyway. So <laughs> Yeah, staying well hydrated and fueled, I think, is very important yeah. out on your bike. And learning a bit about that, I guess, like so that they know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, learning how much your body needs is great. Yeah. yeah, all right, good stuff. Second question, if you could uh, wind back the clock and sit down with yourself age 16, <laughs> what advice would you give her? Um, I would say... Um, I'd say... Uh, crack on with school <laughs> and get that out of the way because you're only there till you're 18 and then you're done um but yeah I think just go out and enjoy it really yeah get school done and then go and have fun on your bike <laughs> do you do you in hindsight do you think you would have put more energy into school uh I think I kind of uh not did the bare minimum, but kind of, I didn't exactly overdo it. I was like, you know, I was that person that would be like there at like 10 o'clock at night, the night before doing their homework sort of person. So uh-huh. I, I could have been, be more organized. Maybe that would be a good one as well. Just good time management. Yeah. Nice one. All right. <laughs> Third question. If you could have a coaching session from anyone past or present, who would it be? And what would you want to learn from them? Oh. Okay. Um, uh, it's got to be Cade Edwards, I reckon. The stuff he does on a bike is <laughs> insane. Like you just see him on a bike and you're like, how is that even possible? Just just anything to help me get my wheels off the ground a bit more would be greatly appreciated. He's on your team, right? So should, can you not just <laughs> ring up, pick up the bat phone and get him around for a bit of a lesson? Yeah, I'd just be too much of a fan. I'd just kind of sit there kind of like, oh, my God. <laughs> do you Are you into that side of things then? Would you like to kind of be able to do more in that area? You, is it ever, ever something you think you'd focus on, like that side of the mountain bike skills? Um, I, I think, it, yeah, it's definitely something I need to work on. And I think even if it's not actually doing like specific kind of gap jumps or something, there's always little bits you can double up on tracks just to be a bit smoother and miss loads of bumps out. So I think, I think it's just always a useful skill to have. Um, and I'm, yeah, I've never been the best at getting my wheels off the ground. Although when I did do a few, I quite enjoyed it. So yeah, it's something I would like to be better at. It may be just even having a bit more control rather than just freezing midair and just being like, oh, hopefully I'll make it down in one piece. <laughs> are, there, are, there, are there many features like that on EWS tracks these days? Uh, not really big jumps. Um, I think you, you get the old occasional like, step down or something, but no, it's, it's more just naturally kind of seeing things and going, oh, yeah, you could, like the boys do all the time and you're like, how did you even see that? <laughs> Like that's not even a thing. It's just like one route and another route, like a few meters apart, and they decide to jump them over all of them or something. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think maybe they maybe if you go to like Whistler, yeah, if you go to Whistler, I'm sure there's plenty, but I've not been yeah. yet. So oh yeah, okay, mm-hmm. so maybe next list. year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Last question: What do you do every day that you feel benefits you? Um. Oh. Um. Okay. Uh. <laughs> that I do every single day. Well, ideally, ideally, but not many day. people are that uh, committed to doing something every day. Um, uh, I think I I pretty much do a bit of yoga or stretching every day. 
So I think that's very beneficial. Even if you're not an athlete, like it's very beneficial to being healthy. So I think that's a great thing. You you really manage that every, every day. That's impressive. Almost every day. Unless yeah. it's like a really long travel day and you get up at like five o'clock or something. I'm I'm not someone that would get up an extra half an hour early. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. But yeah, almost every day. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, it's been super interesting finding out a bit more about you and uh, yeah, really looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season pans out and then yeah, where you go from there, which one of the doors you walk through. Hopefully it's all of them. Um, Yeah. If people want to follow you and keep up with what you're up to, where's the best place for them to look? Uh, Probably on Instagram. What's your name there? Uh, I think it's just Hattie Harden. (laughs) I think. All right. I'll find it and I'll put a link in the show notes so people can find that. Awesome, thank nice you. Nice one. Well, yeah, thanks a lot for your time. All the best and we look forward to seeing how you get on for the rest of the year. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> All right, that's it for this episode with Hattie. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. A massive thanks to We Are One Composites for supporting this episode of the show. Downtime listeners get 15% off We Are One rims for the month of August using the code WESUPPLY2021 over at the checkout on weareonecomposites.com. That's WESUPPLY, lowercase, all one word, followed by the number 2021 over at weareonecomposites.com. There's just one more thing left for you to do, and that's to head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP and leave us your name and email address to find out more about what we're up to and to get the chance to be one of the first people to get your hands on a very special EP1. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent, then you can get your hands on our range of merch by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop with all the proceeds going to help improve the show. If you're still listening and you've got a bit of time, then there's a couple of ways you can help out. Tell your mates about the podcast because the more people who listen, the easier it is for me to keep this thing going. It really is that simple. So share it with your riding mates. Also, sharing the episodes on your social media is a great way to spread the word and it gets some buzz going around the episodes too. And if you fancy it and you've got a couple of minutes, then a review on Apple Podcasts still goes a really long way. All right, we've got another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until then, get out and ride. (laughs) 